Welcome to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast video edition. This is something that we have never done before. And let's just say we are not IT people. So to get this far, we are very much congratulating ourselves. Yep. Uh, look, uh, today's we want to have a discussion on the, on the 80s. And we wanted to have a discussion on who are the top 20 players for Essendon in the 1980s. This session will be from 20 to 11. So what we've done, we've got our own individual lists. We're going to go from number to number and, and then just have our own little debate, have our talk about each player. Uh, we really hope you enjoy it. I might add in a few little clips as we're speaking, uh, just of a memorable time in the 80s. I think if we're all looking back on the 80s, the 1984-85 being obviously a very, very key moment. For me, 84 is still the most magical moment of my sporting life uh and i'm probably is i'm probably the same as others but i want to actually introduce the others so below yeah, me on good. my screen below me on my screen is ron Connolly from footyology how you going roddy yeah good hi everyone uh, good to be here um i'm sad of a new scott because 1984 grand finals probably the greatest day of my life so um <laughs> what's well, not certainly, <laughs> certainly a very memorable one for a lot of long-suffering Essendon supporters not just the fact that the drought was broken but the way it was broken and i'm sure we've all seen the last quarter of that game about five thousand times um Love it. but yeah look the 80s were uh they were a great decade to be an Essendon supporter i mean just the arrival of kevin sheedy was so exciting and yep. You had this young team that, you know, already had established the nucleus and really started to go places and a bit of disappointment in September 1st, you know, succession of elimination final losses and then uh, the damn war broke, really. And, um, yeah, really, uh, really good time to be a young Essendon supporter without too many responsibilities so you could get out in the Terps for about five days after they <laughs> broke that premiership. <laughs> and, and the players as well. Yeah, yeah. Um... And so on my left-hand side of the screen is Grant. Grant, look, you're, this is the first time you're, you're back since uh, America. Uh, do you want to do a yes. very 30-second, you were meant to do the Appalachian Trail for six months. Can you tell us what happened and what virus happened? <laughs> yeah. Um, we've spoken about this uh, infinitum. So basically uh, I was supposed to go over and do a six-month hike um, of a trail in the United States called the Appalachian Trail. It starts in Georgia and finishes in Maine. Um, takes about six months to do. Uh, saved for four years um, to be able to do it. Um, didn't train as much as I should have. Had some medical issues. Went over there and corona happened, to be quite frank. Um, I got a few days in of the single <laughs> hardest hiking I've ever done in my entire life, bar none. Um, northern Georgia, which is still part of the South, got to minus 11 for the couple of the first two nights that I was out there, which is not fun. Um, but I basically, I mean, if I'm 110% honest, uh, I would not have made it all of the six months, just quite literally, because it was, it was ridiculous. Um, I got a massive dose of the homesicknesses, which, which sounds strange, but it, it took me getting over there. Um, to be able to understand that it uh, that I missed home a hell of a lot, and then quite frankly, I came home quickly and missed Corona by a week. Um, so 
the Appalachian Trail is completely shut down now. If I was still over there attempting to do this, I'd be breaking the law. So um, here I am. Uh, something that I've looked forward to and saved for for four years uh, was absolutely doomed from the moment I jumped on the plane. So uh, I am back and I'm back into the Lunchtime Catch-Up podcast now. Thank you, Mr. Grant. Uh, Neil, also, who's just... Are you leaving us? Who's, back, yes, okay. <laughs> uh, Neil, uh, welcome along to the uh, first video podcast. Yes, yep, thanks very much, Scott. I, was, I just realised I had my phone on still, which would have been a pretty poor start off the phone. Unprofessional. Um, no, I'm with, I'm with Rowan. The uh, 84 grand final was uh, probably the best day of my life. I perhaps even have the best story of, of my entire day of the grand final. It's, it's, I haven't heard anybody that can really match it. Um, right from getting into the ground, watching the game and the celebrations afterwards, but maybe another time on that one. Okay. Um, but really looking Good forward tease. Good tease. Good tease. I want to hear it. A tease. <laughs> I want to hear it. Well, I can tell you if you like. Go for it. All right, okay, this is the, this is the story. So, uh, uh, said, uh, myself and two mates have been going to the uh, footy ever since about 1972 as 10 year olds, uh, pretty well every week. Um, we'd stopped, they'd started playing footy a bit by then, but I was still uh, going in 84. Anyway, we arranged to uh, to uh, go to the grand final. We're gonna miss that, obviously. Um, we bought children's uh, standing room passes uh, to get in there. And uh, one of them was actually a, uh, was reporting on the game for one of the uh, newspapers and he had a press pass to get in. Who was that? We, um, uh, Colin Dale, Colin Bomberdale. Oh, I know Bomber, yeah. yeah well, there he you go. He used to work on the Herald. Yeah, yeah I've, I've known him since I was a cadet on the Sun, yeah. All oh, right. yeah. Well, we, uh, we went to primary school together. Yeah, right. From, um, uh, yeah, I met him when I was five or six years old. And we went, uh, we went virtually every week. And he's a real character, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so he got in as a press pass. Me and my other friend um, went there and we had a look around the ground and decided um, where's the best place to watch this. And we decided on um, top deck of the Olympic stand, dead centre wing in the members, where we'd never been before. So we sort of uh, fudged our way into the members um, and, and sat down there. And the amazing thing was, and this is how the three of us really uh, had a bit, quite an intuitive way of thinking. We'd never discussed where we were going to meet. We just said we'd meet inside the ground at the MCG with 100,000 people there. And 15 minutes before the game starts, a bomber comes and sits down next to us. Um, he, he just thought, well, he'll go to the best seat in the ground and that's where we'll be. Anyway, <laughs> that's fine. So then um, after that, he was covering the... Uh, we won the game, which is fantastic. Bomber actually very nearly, um, he's a, uh, not an optimist, he's a bit negative about it, and he was negative sitting here the whole way until, uh, until we hit the front. As soon as he hit the front, he's, he's jumped up in the air and started screaming, and uh, with one foot half on the fence, and he actually got to the point where we reckon he'd, he was past the point of no return. We had to grab him to stop falling down to the next section. <laughs> So that was a, was a bit of an experience. Uh, but then after that, um, he was covering the game, the Southern Cross Ballroom. So um, uh, he arranged to get us in there, to the Southern Cross Ballroom. And I remember talking to uh, 
Simon Madden and Merv Neagle and uh, Kevin Walsh and all sorts of other players there. And then after that, the players went to the uh, Carlton Inn where there was the players, a uh, couple of committee men and us. Wow. Nice. That's a good story. That's a, that's a pretty good story. Even the way I, uh, I got into the Southern Cross Ballroom is a story, but I won't name names on that, but it's somebody uh, quite famous who actually uh, got me in through the back, uh, in through the... I, I, I think the statute of limitations is, uh, is finished now. Surely you could let us know. <laughs> Uh, maybe another time. I, maybe I okay. Uh, all right. All right. Probably should have gone past people before I uh, before I say that. But um, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Look, uh, it, someone that uh, yes would everybody would well and truly know. Okay, Kevin Sheen. <laughs> well, thank you, Neil. Uh, look, we better get this underway, or this is going to be a very long show. Uh, so, look, let's start at number twenty. Uh, hopefully. Within this video, you might see some clips of the famous 84 grand final, um, which is pretty much, a, a, yeah, as we said, a magical time for all of us. I'll start with my technology gurus. Yes. <laughs> I'll start with myself and my number 20. Uh, I've changed my list probably 10 times in the last two days, by the way, but it is what it is. No, we don't. Sorry. Uh, my number 20 is Paul Weston. So uh, Paul Weston played. Uh, from 83 to 85, uh, commonly known as a backman, uh, played 60 games, kicked 12 goals. Now, 12 goals doesn't seem much, but probably if you talked about a half of football, uh, probably win one of the most important halves of football ever played at the Essendon Football Club in a position he doesn't play. Uh, and, and I have a big belief in big-time games and plays stepping up. Uh, and so he got into my list just for mainly that fact. Obviously, he's a very, very accomplished backman, but I love plays on the big stage having huge impact on games. And, and Weston, and obviously we may have Duckworth later on, uh, these kind of guys change the face of, the, of, of this match uh, thanks to the coaching masterstroke. And for, for that, he is my number 20. Yeah, no, good call. He, um, yeah, I mean, it's one of the most inspired sort of switches of position, isn't it? I mean, everyone remembers Lou Richards' line, this premiership, she's premiership with these yeah, tremendous yeah. moves he's made. <laughs> ah, yep. um, but, yeah, look, I mean, my fa yeah, lovely guy too, Paul Weston. My favourite memory of him is just him being interviewed out on the ground after that game and practically in tears. Uh, saying I just couldn't handle losing another one because he'd come from Glenelg yep. and then he played in 83 when they got smashed, Essendon got smashed. And that may, uh, I think that meant he'd played in six losing grand finals, five with Glenelg and one with the Bombers, never played in a premiership. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, it certainly was a, a huge moment for him. And, yeah, look, he was, he was so solid. He very, very rarely got beaten. Um, only three seasons, but as you say, for impact, pretty hard to beat. So, yeah, no, that's a good call. Now, who have you got, Rowan? Um, well, I, I was going to apologise to Paul because he was sort of my first emergency, but um, in the end, probably the fact that he only had the three seasons went against him. But my number 20 is a little bit similar, actually, uh, only a, more of a hard luck story 
in that he had a huge role in sort of setting up Essendon for the flags, but then didn't get to play in either of them. Um, I'm talking about Tony Bahaja. Yes. Um, mm. Point size, chunky rover from WA. Um, and his first season in 81, um, yeah, Sheed's first season as well. But he had such a huge impact on Essendon's fortunes. Just a consistent ball winner, really clever player. Very good around goal, you know, kicked plenty of goals. I can remember right from the first game that season, they played Geelong down at Geelong. And he was just awesome. And he was so consistent. And he was far and away Essendon's best on baller until, you know, quite late in the 83 season, um, Sheeds basically pulled two rabbits out of the hat, whose names were Darren Williams and Alan Ezzard. And uh, Daisy had been playing for Vermont after some time in WA. Yeah. Um, Ezard had been playing with Coburg and they both came to the club halfway through that 83 season. And then within a few weeks were both playing seniors and Budgie got sort of squeezed out. Now he played, unfortunately for him, played in the 83 grand final. Um, was Found a lot harder to get a game in 84. Played in the 84 preliminary final. And can't quite remember who was out, but and played pretty well in the preliminary final. And then made way for the grand final, and then of course at the end of that year moved to Footscray, so missed out in '85 as well. But in that sort of uh, curve up towards those two flags, '81, '82, '83, he was pivotal. You know, he was one of Essendon's probably you know half a dozen most important players, and. Yep. Um, it's a bit of a tragedy, I reckon, that he wasn't rewarded with the premiership. As a matter of fact, just the other day, I'm desperately trying to remember who it was, but a colleague of mine um, said that they'd just been interviewing Sheeds and they were talking about his toughest players. And one of the first names he mentioned was Tony Bahaja. You know, people think, okay. oh, he was small. Okay. But he was, yeah, incredibly car- uh, courageous and, um, you know, never took a step backward. I mean, it wasn't really aggression, but he was just fearless. And he was such a, um, a natural footballer, almost sort of a, you know, I, I don't want to sound disrespectful, but a, like a poor man's Greg Williams in some ways. You know, mm. he's just a ball magnet. Yeah. Um, so he was a real favourite of mine. And in the end, he's played, uh, oh, I've got the figures here, 83 games. He led the goal kicking in his first year in 81 yeah. with 42 goals. He was best first year player. Uh, eighth in the Brownlow that year, and he came third in the Age Player of the Year award. So it's a pretty good um, looking team. <laughs> he, he, he gave Essendon, you know, four years of excellent service. Um, so he's he's my number twenty. Nah, uh, no complaints there. Great. Um, me now. This is going to be a controversial one. Um, uh, now, and again, Rowan and Neil will probably be able to speak more to this than I will. Um, and it's it's Neil Danaher. Now, really ridiculously talented from what I understand, and in but injury plagued. And I, I have this thing that if you if you've got all the talent in the world, <coughs> Scott Gumbleton, um, if you've got all the talent in the world and you don't actually play, um, not if you've if you play 30 odd games and they were the greatest 30 odd games in recorded history. I, I, I don't know. I'd, and I'd, I'd take it from Neil or, or you, Rowan. Why, why is Neil Danaher spoken about in such, with such reverence? Um, 
all right, well, you, you might want to go now, but I'd, I'd just quickly say, and look, maybe I'm getting ahead of the curve here, but he's my number 19. Um, okay, all right. So the, the lack of games count against him, obviously. He's only ended up with 82. Um, and he played, uh, I reckon he would have played 66 or 67 of them consecutively. Yeah, but it was 66 games from, from debut. Yeah, yeah, which was the first game of 79. Um, he won two. He won two. Start again. Oh, so the last game he actually played before the knee injury was the famous game that he won at Princess Park. Yeah, well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and the next week uh, he got injured against South Melbourne at, at home, and that was um, that was basically the end of him for four years. But um, I mean, he won his he he won a B and F in his first season. He won it again in '81 when they were playing seriously good football. And I'd say pound for pound in terms of talent, he was easily the best of the four Danaher's in terms of natural talent. Incredible judgment, um, a really graceful mover, read the ball beautifully, you know. And and that's where he... I mean, don't get me wrong, Terry was an absolute superstar, but Neil was a more naturally gifted footballer than Terry. Had he not been cut down by those knee injuries, and it is a football tragedy of sorts, I've no doubt we would be talking about him as one of the all-time greats. That's how good he was. Yeah, Neil, you, yeah, you go, Neil. No, and I, I, I thought he was so good, even though he played only played the three seasons. And his, the three seasons he played were of such high quality, I actually had him in my top ten for that. Okay. Uh, everything, that, everything that Rowan said there, he was, uh, he was the backbone of the team in those days. He was just super dependable. I can hardly remember him playing a, a bad game. Um, the way he used, he just float through the air and, and, and take marks, but uh, not really spectacular marks, but just good solid marks. And he very rarely dropped it. Very dependable by foot. Wasn't particularly fast, but he never really got caught too much out with that um, because his judgment was just as good as anybody. And I agree. If, if he wasn't, um, cut down, down by injuries and after after the knee injuries he didn't really play a good game after that even though he played another 20 odd games um, he uh, he's lost his pace and, and his agility and his, his movement well even um, uh, sorry I'll do just quickly I mean even when so he, he did it the first time got appointed yeah. captain and never played did it again in pre-season 82 so that was two Ricos and then he came back in 85, and I, I distinctly remember this. this is, I interviewed him with Lou Richards in 85 after he'd played two or three games. And I covered the first, his actual comeback game at Windy Hill. I think it was against Melbourne. And um, he was playing, he was basically playing as well as he had. But then he did his knee again in a meaningless night game over in Adelaide. And that was the one that he was gone after that. Yeah. I think he, um, even when he first came back, he, he still had all the, he, he was still a magnificent reader of the play. I mean, Sheedy said that he, he should go on and be a coach because he just had such great knowledge of the game. And, um, but the, he, he really got by, I thought, at that stage on, on his ability to read the game and predict what was going to happen and really be a general of the defence. Um, but yeah, after the next Rico... It was on, and and with his first Rico, 
he just tried to come back too soon. He tried to be ready for, because he got appointed captain. And yeah. later on, Andrews was, was taken over him. I think he, he uh, instead of doing the 12 months, he tried to do it in six months. Mm. And, uh, and they've shown now that very few players can manage that. And that was a, mm. an absolute tragedy. I would have just loved to have seen him uh, gone on and have a full career. And I agree, he was definitely the most talented of the Danahers. Um, but, you know, that's the way it to, goes sometimes, isn't it? To me, so sorry, quickly, to me... Sorry, uh, I just uh, Neil, Neil's number 20. Yeah. Uh, to me, uh, I, th- I do remember Neil, like probably his last year he played. So I actually do remember the Princess Park game uh, and the 250,000 people who tell me they're at the game. Uh, and for me, it was always when I spoke to Eston people, they kind of likened him to James Hurd, how we talk about James Hurd now, as far as IQ, did everything didn't look fast, but did everything graceful, everything with class and just knew where the ball was going to land. And that's, that's how people describe me of what this guy should have been uh, if it wasn't for a cruel blow. Yeah, no, it's a, that's a very good analogy. A lot of similarities to how they moved particularly. Neil, you've got to do number 20. So yeah, this, is going to be the world's, this is going to be the world's first 10-hour podcast, isn't it? <laughs> So yes, it might be too. So my number twenty, I'm actually um, not sure he should have been quite so high, but I couldn't leave him out. Was uh, was Ron Andrews? Oh, he played um, rugged Ronnie. He, by the eighties, he uh, he some of his best football was behind him, and he he was appointed captain when Neil Danaher went down in 1982, and did captain the uh, the season in his absence. But he subsequently did a knee as well. Or was that before or after that? No, he did a knee in, 70, in 78. 78, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and that slowed him down because the recovery from knees in those days wasn't anything like what it was now. But he was the, uh, he was the, the scariest player I think I've ever seen. Um, I recall seeing uh, he, he, he'd pick up the ball and he'd run, take a run through the, through the middle of the ground and opposition players would actually get out of his way. They'd try and, they'd try and tackle him from the side, and he, just, he had a, a, an amazing ability just to go for these uh, little runs and, and little wheeze and kicks it. And I'm still, one of my great disappointments was that he was left out of the 83 grand final. Yeah. Because I, I, we might not have won it, but it, we wouldn't have got smashed. And Colin Robinson, uh, Robinson would have... Uh, had very little chance of winning the Walsmith medal because he and would have been and, and would have got snotted. And then, of course, uh, he went to Collingwood, which led to that great joke about after the 84 preliminary final. At one stage, Essendon was, you know, 16, 17 goals to three and Ronnie Andrews had kicked all the Collingwood's goals, you know. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, you're right, Neil. He was, I mean, he was... He was sort of owed some return for all that service. I mean, he made his debut in 73. Um, wow. So he'd, he'd put in a lot of hard yards. And, yeah, it was disappointing he didn't get to play that day. Yeah. yeah. Look, I, I, just, um, I, I probably would have had some other players high, like um, Bahaja. Tony, I agree with everything you said with Tony Bahaja. Um, he was my 21. And um, I just didn't want to leave Ron out. So. <laughs> Makes sense. Hey, look, so we'll, look, we'll pick up the pace a bit. 
yeah. <laughs> but I guess we are. I guess we are sort of going through the players' names. So when that player is mentioned again, we, we can just sort of skip past it fairly quickly. Uh, look, number my nineteen yeah. is actually a bit of a childhood favourite of mine, and I don't know why, but I I grew up in the same area of Ringwood as him, and which is Neil Nobby Clark. Uh, so Nobby Clark was uh, just. I love reliable players and players that give them give their all. And that's how I saw this guy. Uh, 135 games, um, did kick 35 goals, but best clubman award in 1984. So in the premiership year, he was named best clubman. And that's how I saw him. I saw him as the player that everyone loved. Um, uh, my heart broke when, obviously, uh, with his passing, uh, from, from how people spoke of him as such an amazing guy. Uh, but for me, he was my 19 uh, special sort of back pocket slash sometimes tagger kind of player. Uh, and, and I love guys that give their all. Yeah, no, again, um, I think Sheeds was the making of him, you know, really sort of cementing his spot in that back pocket. And uh, he, he was a guy that sort of chronically lacked confidence, I think, and just settling him down that back pocket gave it to him. And uh, he was a really important part of that defence and a valuable part of, of both those premierships. Um, yep. So, yeah, no, spot on. And he's, yeah, he features higher in mind. So, um, no, good call for me. Okay. Um, all right, well, I'll, I'll help pick up the pace. So, uh, <laughs> 19 for me was Neil Danaher. So, we've, we just spoke at length about Neil. So, uh, yep. I'll handball it over to you, Grant. <laughs> Um, I've got 19 as Nobby as well. Scott and I, um, again, what I, uh, there's a lot of defenders up my list. Um, I, there's the obvious ones at the pointy end, but there's a lot of defenders in my list. Um, and yeah, Nobby was no nonsense and reliable defender. And I think they're as rare as rocking horse. So um, Nobby for me. Yep. And Nobby, unfortunately, just missed my list as well. I had him as just behind Bahaj at 22. Okay. Um, sorry, but my number 19 was Shane Hurd. Yep. Now, okay. Shane Hurd was a, uh, was a started in the 70s and wasn't a particularly great player. He always had good pace. Uh, I remember Sheedy making a comment about the way he always ran in circles. He had this huge turning circle. Yeah. Um, wasn't a... Uh, Apart from his pace, he didn't have any great attributes, but all of a sudden, Sheedy turned him into a tagger. And he was the best tagger in the game. And uh, taking uh, Dipper out in the 84 Grand Final was... Uh, who, and Dipper was a big, solid guy, and it was really the, uh, the heart of Hawthorne, I thought, at the time. And he, mm. uh, and he just uh, yeah, completely diminished his output in that game. And he had... Uh, probably three or four really good solid years as, as possibly the best tagger in the game. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, uh, really, really good, really good call. I've, I've got him, actually got him several spots higher on my list and everything you say there is spot on. Uh, you know, he was super fit, had played a lot of football as a wingman, but hadn't necessarily made a huge impression. And again, she's just had a happy knack of, getting those guys into the positions where they ended up being best suited. Yep. And his yep. natural fitness just served him beautifully for that role. Um, and he was so good in the, I don't know if you remember this, but in 1985, uh, Sheeds coached the State of Origin side and uh, they were playing South Australia and Adelaide. And they actually smuggled Shane Hurd over the border 
to tag, I think he might have tagged Johnny Platten, but they didn't name him in the side. He was sort of a surprise last minute inclusion. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and, and wow. people are saying, Shane, you know, Shane Heard playing for Victoria, but he did a really good job. The other thing that happened in that same game was Sheets just took it upon himself to play four guys on the bench, even though they were only supposed to have two. And what happened was uh, Victoria won the game by heaps, and then the Australian Football Council stripped them of the, the win because they'd fielded too many players. So the Chiefs didn't care because he said, oh, you know, we beat them, we beat them anyway. So... Um, yeah, strange man shirts. But uh, yeah, look, Shane, Shane Hood was a, a great success story for him. And, and you're spot on with that grand final too. I mean, Dipper kicked four goals from the wing in the second semi, won Hawthorne that game. And Hood didn't tag him in that game and uh, did in, in the grand final. And it was absolutely pivotal to Essendon winning. Yep. Yeah, well, that, that, that really was one of the, uh, yeah, as you say, pivotal to him winning. With, without that, I could have well gone a different way. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. It was it was it's one thing when you tag somebody out of the game, but it was just the way he did it about it as well. You, you would think uh, Dipper would be able to out outbody him and out and, and get him in in strength, but he uh, yeah he really um, outmuscled him on a lot of occasions, and uh, really uh, I mean it took us a while to get there in the eighty four grand final, but once that it did, it's, uh, it was great to watch. Just final story on him. He was an absolute devotee of the, um, what do you call it, the speed ball, you know, yeah, the yeah. boxing. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, and he based his whole sort of fitness regimen around training on the speed ball. And that's what got him so fit. I've got a feeling he might have ended up starting a business along those lines, actually. And you remember, too, he retired and then made a short-lived comeback in 91, from memory. Did he play an Alan Jakovich oh. once in the 90s and shut him down? Just it's like Ooh, a famous gee. game where she yeah. kind of brought him back at a surprise, and and then the surprise was he came on Alan Jakovic. But I'm just trying to remember if that's true. My memory it, serves me. It might have. It, it might have actually. I'm just wondering if it was that '91 elimination final, which in actual fact might have been his last game. Mm. Um, or I'm not. not trying to that. I've tried to put that out of my head because it wasn't a good day. But no. uh, uh, yeah, look. So You're one of the one of the fittest one of the fittest guys who ever played Lesnar, no question yep. about that. Yeah, certainly. Now, let's go to number 18. Uh, 18 is, for me, look, this is a very famous name. Uh, probably, if you're at Wendy Hill, you would have many of a joke, many of a, a comment towards this guy as if he would never have ever make it. And boy, did he, boy, did he make it and have a big impact. And that's Kevin Walsh, the man who had his own standout in the outer wing at Windy Hill, uh, which was, that's where I sort of stood every, every weekend with my father and was some of the best one-liners you would ever see towards a player. Uh, and yeah, it's a guy who, who really did get knocked early on. Uh, but then for some reason, his gangliness actually stopped and he became quite a great athlete and, and had some great shutdown roles and became a really prominent defender for Essendon. And he's one of my favourite stories of Essendon. Uh, and, uh, and there's no doubt he's, he's much loved uh, with fans. And whenever you have a, a get-together or catch-up with grand final teams, he's one of the first guys. You, you look for the moustache and, and you just have a chat. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, I moved him about, but I, I ended up having him at 18. 
Yeah, no, really good call. I, I've got him higher as well. Um, you're not wrong about being much maligned early on. I, I was there <laughs> when he... I still remember his first game. It was against Footscray um, in 81 out at Western Oval. And Essendon, if you remember, had a series of sort of narrow losses, but then a couple of ordinary ones. And that one was... So after six games, Essendon had lost five of them. That was the sixth. Um, that was the sixth game. And it was after that game, Sheeds threatened to pull the boots on and make a comeback as captain coach. But that was <laughs> Walsh's first game. And I can remember standing there in the outer with the same two guys I went with every week. And we got done and we're going home. And I just, I just remember saying, oh, God, how bad are we looking? You know, that coach is a dud. And who's this Walsh idiot? You know, he can't <laughs> play. Um, and he was still copping it regularly, I reckon, up until about probably 84. But you're, you're right, Scotty. Um, he, the uncodeness, as we called it, became, uh, you know, he was just wiry and athletic and very hard to counter. A bit sort of Dustin Fletcher-ish in a way. Yeah, um, true. And, and uh, just a really, really solid centre-half back. And uh, I mentioned that 85 state team. He played state footy. I mean, that's how good he got. You know, so, I think um, it, was all, it was all Australian in 1986. And, and, you know, that's a serious achievement. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, actually, well, uh, he spent some time in the ruck for Victoria as well, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, good call. Certainly. Ground, uh, what was that? I think he got best on the ground in the state game. Yeah, look, oh. he might have. He might have. He was, he was certainly one. He was probably Sheeds' first project player, I'd say. Yeah, we all know he had a succession of them, and Walsh, he was probably the first of them. Yeah, they always looked pretty... I was going to... I was going to ask that question. It would Walsh have been the first of the ones that really genuinely owe their career to Sheeds? Yeah, I think so. Probably the other one I think of around the same time is Roger Merritt. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they both sort of started to come good around the same time. And mm. I assume we'll be talking about Roger, so I'll leave the, the uh-huh. stories about him till later. But both pretty similar trajectory. You know, they'd come um, come in and play, or Roger particularly, come in and play a few games, get dropped again, and then for some whatever reason it just clicked and they became very dependable. Yeah. And in Walsh's case, it was just more games. And in Roger's case, it was getting branded a hitman by Don Scott. And uh, literally <laughs> yeah. overnight, Neil would remember this, like... Yeah. Don Scott came out and said, there's a hitman operating in the VFL and named him. And uh, Essendon were outraged by it. And literally the next game that week was the last home and away game against Carlton. And Roger came out and played easily the best game he'd played to date and never looked back after that. He, he was just, nice. And by 1985, he was the best centre-half forward in the game. Yeah. There you go. I've just stolen the thunder on Roger Merritt. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks very much, Don Scott. Yeah. Um, so number eighteen. Okay, I've gone with. Yeah, we haven't talked about this guy yet. A uh, bit of a fan favourite. Oh, I did mention him actually, just quickly. But uh, I've gone with Daisy Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, great story. You know, played the one game in in nineteen seventy nine, uh, which was a very very ill fated shocker against Fitzroy at Windy Hill. Less than lost by I think ninety eight points, and that was Daisy's one and only senior game. He went away and played in Perth, came back to Victoria and was playing for Vermont in the EFL or whatever it was called then. And Sheeds, um, I think he kept tabs on him and Noel Judkins as well. And uh, they, they literally plucked him out of the EFL mid-season 
and he went back to Essendon and within a couple of weeks was back in the senior team. So, uh, and, and starring, you know, and so he's gone from, you know, playing for Vermont against Mitchum one week to, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 weeks later playing in a VFL grand final, you yeah. know, and uh, no. you watch, we, we talk about 1984, don't underestimate his role in that last quarter, just winning a, a succession of centre clearances. Um, and his capacity to get in and under and win that first possession, he was as courageous as they come. The number of, the number of times he got concussed um, was just ridiculous. And uh, there he is. There he is. Um, and he had, he had decent pace and he had a really good football brain. Um, and yeah, he and Alan Ezart, sort of both of them coming on the scene when they did really gave the side a, an extra dimension. And uh, yeah, look, he would have been, he would have been uh, far and away the best player at Vermont, I would have thought. Yeah, well, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, you know, that's another of Sheed's legacies, I suppose, sort of changing the. Uh, well, you know, you can't come from a suburban league to league footy but you know he did and he, he did it brilliantly and I know a lot of those Hawthorne guys that played you know in that succession of three grand finals against Essendon and that great rivalry they rated Daisy so highly he's just like a, a footballer's footballer yeah and in the end it was probably only a series of concussions and soft tissue injuries that slowed him down so I um, mean ended up playing 109 games uh, again played for Victoria a couple of times Played in both the flags um, and ended up playing a good seven seasons. Um, a terrific player for Essendon. And, uh, yeah, he's my, what are we up to? Number 18. 18. Yeah. 18. Yeah. I, I actually had him Go for it. Yeah. I actually had him higher than that. I had him as 13 for, for all of what you said, Rowan. Yeah. Um, and he was another player. was the big game player as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he's a very underestimated player when you talk about some of the uh, some of the great players of the club. As you said, very courageous, um, great skills, a very good kick, handball, clean, um, all that you want, and and yeah, just super courageous and give his all. Amazing story to come from uh, suburban comp mid season, and yeah, as you say, almost as soon as he arrived back, he was he was a, a star. Yeah, yeah. So, who did yeah. you have at eighteen, uh, Neil? I had uh, Alan Ezard. Ah, the lizard. Yep. Um, a, uh, another one of the shitty specials, as you said. He just plucked him from nowhere. Um, yep. Very slight player. Had a terrific leap. Could take a, a great pack mark um, and a great goal sneak. And he uh, formed a, a really a terrific combination with Williams, with uh, Williams being the main player on the ball and, and being... Uh, um, Substituted with um, with Ezard when he uh, when uh, Williams got a bit tired, um, led the goal kicking with forty seven uh, one year. Eighty sure eighty six. Eighty six. Yep. Eighty six was as good a footy as he played, and you mentioned his marking ability. That was the year he took. I don't know if you remember it. Took an absolute screamer uh, in the forward pocket at Waverley in the Anzac Day game against Carlton. Um, Just imagine. Yeah. Might, have, might have been one mark of the year. Um, yeah. Over but, Justin uh, yeah. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, no, that's a pretty reasonable step ladder, that one, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he, uh, good call, Neil. He, he was, yeah, very sort of similar story to Daisy Williams. And, and they both just really gave that whole Essendon side a, a different look. Yeah, and they, the, the great thing about him was that he, he had a lot of pace. He was a very quick player. Um, but with that leap, he was able to, uh, to not only mark, but able to spoil as well. But, but it's so important having, having somebody on the forward line that can, that can kick goals and be relied on to kick goals. And I think he kicked mm. seven goals a couple of times. Um, so, yeah, he was a really good solid player. And he later on went on to be best and fairest in 91 too. So he, he, was, a, he was a serious player. Like at 184 games, 200 goals. It, it, when I sort of was researching him today, I went, I, I forgot what a serious player he was. Like a, he was around my initially around my sort of 20, 21. And then I, and then, um, I, I put him up the list quite a bit once I... And look, with, with a, uh, an ounce of luck, might have been a triple premiership player because he did, I think, I'm pretty sure he played in the 93 qualifying final. You know, mm. Essendon had a few injuries and he and Anthony Danaher and the, uh, Michael Simons, you know, a few guys like that played in. So, you know, he was, he was part of their best side right up till the end of his career. Yeah. So, Grant, you got your 18. Yes, 18, Tony Bahaja. Um, like I said, we've spoken about the budge. Um, I loved him because of the reasons, I think, like you said, Rowan, he was, um, he was tiny. There wasn't very much of him. But he, I, the, the, my lasting memories of Tony Bahaja were the way he got out of packs. Like, he'd, he got in, he got the ball, and he was always at speed exiting packs. And almost to his detriment sometimes, he would be flying through packs. And you got to know he would have caught elbows and caught legs and arms and stuff. And for the size player that he was, he was courageous. Um, and, yeah, you, I, I give a lot of respect to those little fellas that um, they can get in and out of those packs with the monsters that used to be running around in the 80s. A um, lot of respect for the budge. Mm. Well, I'll go on to 17. Mine's a very quick one because it's Alan Ezard. Uh, for all the all the same reasons, so I'll go straight to you, Rowan, on seventeen. All right, we haven't mentioned this guy. I've gone for the nineteen eighty four Norm Smith medalist, Billy Duckworth. Billy Duckworth. Um, yeah, one of, obviously one of the great characters of the club. Rolled up in eighty two. Um, I can remember, you know, not knowing a lot about him. I knew he was from Perth. I think West Perth. Um, and there's something just, yeah, he looked like a real old-fashioned footballer, didn't he, with that sort of pudding bowl haircut. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he was a, he was a truck driver. and But he had he had immediate impact. I mean, there was a, a famous game, which I think um, might have been on. I saw it recently somewhere, and it was Essendon Sydney up at the SCG. And Essendon came from the clouds to, to pinch the win. And... Um, they got in front with a goal from Duckworth, which he kicked from behind centre. You know, it just sort of went 100 miles and bounced through. Kicked a, a oh, goal like that. Kicked I a goal like that. that. that game, actually, Sorry? I think I was at that game at Sydney. Oh, right. Okay. Um, he kicked yeah. a similar goal in the 83 preliminary final against North when they got off to a, a flying start. And he, he looked very unathletic, but... He was deceptively quick and he had, again, a really good footy brain. And you've only got to look at the impact he made in that 84 
grand final when he was moved forward. And, um, you know, talking about the pivotal moves in that game were, you know, Duckworth forward, Western forward, Bradbury forward. Basically a whole half-back line shifting to the forward line. And, um, you know, Billy sort of kept Essendon hanging in there. As you can see, it's one of his goals in the third quarter. Um, kept him hanging in there. And then there's, there's Daisy. Um, but he not only did he sort of keep him in it, but he then ended up going back to defence for the last yeah. like, yeah, I remember that. Of, yeah. of the game. And, um, yeah, look, part of, big part of the 85 flag too. Kick managed to kick a goal in that grand final as well. And was still, you know, still playing good footy right up to the end of his career, which was 88, of course, the famous Tater Tate with Dermy at Waverley. That was 88. Great um, game, yeah. So, you know, in the end, a succession of soft tissue injuries compromised him in the end. But he was a very, very reliable player for Essendon and a much more athletic natural football than his appearance indicated. Mm. Yep. yep. I, must admit, I, I must admit I had him a bit higher, um, but that's probably me over uh, maybe glorifying 84 uh, Norm Smith medal. But yeah, I, like I said, I, I, anyone that can go on the big stage for me, I, I seem to just put them up three or four than probably what I'm naturally going to put them as. Uh, but yeah, just a great player personality uh, for the game. I mean, him and Dermy's yeah. scuffles were just, they were fantastic for the game. Uh, he, he was such so, such a big part of that era of, that you had see so many highlights of. Um, and and it wasn't just being a larrikin too. He was a genuinely good, uh, solid player that you could rely mm. on. Yeah, very unconventional. I mean, he had a bit of a sloppy kick on him. He uh, wasn't a great ball drop, but he was just very effective. And mm. I had him at higher uh-huh. too. I I had him at 14. Um, who, who did you have at 17, Neil? Yeah. Oh, well, they were all pretty close. Who did, who did you have at 17? Oh, so, oh me. I had um, Paul Weston. Paul Weston, oh, okay. okay. Yeah. We've already uh, talked about. Um, right. And that was, again, a, a bit like Duckworth, a lot based on... He was a very good player, but, again, the, uh, the grand finally played in, uh, in 84 was, uh, was uh, really a special day. Yep. Um, nice. I had um, I had Shane Hurd at seventeen again for all the reasons uh, that have already been spoken. Um, love a tagger, and again for those three, what four seasons you said, Ron, um, that he played. Um, I think to to maintain that and to change your role um, and become elite at it, I think is yeah is definitely to be respected. So number seventeen is uh, Shane Hurd for me. All right. Uh... So just so we don't make it a two-hour <laughs> podcast, I'll, I'll pick up the pace a little bit. Uh, but we are going to get to the stage now. We're going to start naming some guys uh, that we've already mentioned. So, not, look, my 16 is Daisy Williams. Uh, I think we're all sort of similar with that. So I'll, I'll go on to you, Ron. Uh, pass. Uh, no, just <laughs> pass. <laughs> uh, no, my, my 16 is Alan Ezard. Oh, yeah. Nice. Okay. Uh, Neil? Uh, mine was Kevin Walsh. Okay. Okay. Kevin Walsh, we've done that. Um, I've got uh, Neon Leon Baker. Oh, wow. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Leon Baker. There's the first moment of controversy. (laughs) Really? Why? why? And again, why? No, why? I love the man. No, you're obviously not enough. (laughs) What? 
All right, yeah, Rowan. Was great. Rowan, I think, I think I was Rowan here. We're we're considerably higher. Oh, so Rowan, tell us about Leon Baker and 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 I I just assume he's in your top ten. But tell us about Leon <laughs> Baker, Rowan. Well, which which aspect? I mean, because the, the life story is you can spend two hours talking about that. I mean, I was lucky enough to interview him uh, when he came back in 2015 for the Premiership reunion. Um, his story, at, yeah, let's do it another time. It is an amazing football story. Yeah. You know, he just played football all over the country. So, okay, here's the football story. He comes to Essendon in 1984 at the age of 28. He's already played in two flags in a row with Swan Districts. People didn't still, or people here didn't know a lot about him. From game one, from minute one in game one, he just looks absolutely at home. He is one of the, oh, look, hand confession here, I love this bloke. You know, like, yeah, yeah. seriously, I'd, I'd turn for Leon Baker. That's how much I love him. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, he, he is one of the neatest, most efficient footballers I've ever seen. Never, ever wasted a disposal. A real economy of movement. Brilliant reader of the football. Um, and and a possession machine. And But it was... You know what? It is a little bit like, and I don't mean with that sort of brute force, but the damaging nature of his kicking uh, was a bit like Dusty Martin. Like he is almost like Dusty Martin without the tats and without that sort of bullish yeah. exterior because he didn't yeah. he didn't need to use muscle. It was all nous and football IQ and brilliant disposal skills. And um, I know like Tim Watson, for example, you know how many great players Tim played with and Tim says Baker is as good as any player he ever played with so he comes over here plays in two flags in his first two years um, which gives him four premierships in a row played brilliant footy again in 86 and then the last two seasons he started to have problems with stress fractures which was because he did a lot of road running and have a look at this I mean there's one of the iconic grand final moments you know, like who hasn't watched that 5,000 times? <laughs> um, and the, the only thing that stopped him in the end was the fact that he came over here at 28. So by his final season, he was 33. And the stress fractures, which slowed him down. But he still went on and, and played another couple of years at, at Mafra in Gippsland and then up to Port Douglas. Uh, and he was still going oh. quite late. But just... Um, the neatest, most compact, efficient footballer I have ever seen in out of any club. And wow. um, <laughs> he, with all due respect to Billy Duckworth, Leon should have won that Norm Smith medal. Yeah. yeah okay. And he so, was... So, Grant, you're forgiven because of your youth. But, <laughs> yes. mate, that is, that is way too low for Leon Baker. Okay. All right. All right. I'll take it. He was also a really good mark too. He was yeah. he was he was really a complete player. He was he was a great mark. He was as tough as nails, um, and as you say, never wasted disposal. I think that's a great call, Rowan, about uh, the the how similar he is to Dustin Martin, just without the physicality and the uh, the big mm. fend off. But uh, he was a fantastic player. It's a, imagine I am what, kidding. I, I am kidding. By the way, Grant. Like it's 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 fine, mate. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not that offended. 
No, 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 it's no problems at all. Like I said, I, I there's Scotty will know. Scotty knows more about like the Leon Bakers and the Nobby Clarks and the Shane Herds. I must admit, if, if I I looked at Leon Baker and do I remember him being a good looking rooster as well? Yeah, Leon Bacon. Like, because I remember, yeah. I just remember Leon Baker. Whenever I saw him being interviewed, or or ever saw him on the game, I always thought, now there's a tall, good-looking rooster of a footballer. But I yeah. must admit, there are there are some players that I, and again, a bit like Neil Danaher. You, you, we we sit here and we talk that we can't um, say enough about him. Um, I just think I didn't. I don't know the the football story behind um, Leon as as well as I should. Well, the have a read of the piece I wrote in 2015. I'll email it to you because it was... Yes, uh, please. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's... Scott, I think Scott's probably saying it. I, I, like, it's yeah. one of the most enjoyable pieces I've ever written because it's such an incredible story. And I remember, like, he, he came over here, famously did one TV interview, which he didn't, he didn't like the way he was portrayed, and just said after that, no, I'm not doing any more media, and didn't for his entire career. Wow. Um, so when I finally got the chance to interview him, and that only came up through sort of a mutual acquaintance, I, you know, I said to him, why, why were you so, you know, media shy? And he said, oh, I don't know. Look, he said, it wasn't I didn't like the media. I just, I couldn't be bothered, you know. Um, <laughs> great story with him after the, I think it was after the 85 win. Um, he, his wife, I uh, can't remember her real name, but everyone calls her Spider. His wife's name's Spider. Okay. And, um, so everyone's getting ready to go to the grand final dinner and Leon and Spider are in the rooms sort of hurriedly packing up to go. And someone goes, oh, I'll see you at the dinner. He goes, no, mate, we're off to Nepal. We've just got to go to the airport. <laughs> it's not so, even going yeah. to the grand final dinner. He wasn't, he wasn't a big one for the trappings of being a league footballer. He, he uh, you know, loved travelling and he loved discovering new places and a bit alternative with his lifestyle and stuff. But uh, just... Uh, yeah, an incredible footballer, and um, I won't say a tragedy because we we got to see plenty yeah. of him. But um, gee, if only people had had the eye of a sheedy a few years earlier, so he came over here at twenty two rather than twenty eight. You know, because yeah, he was just amazing. he was a gun. Yeah. Okay. He's still up in Port Douglas, I think, isn't he? Is, is he yeah. On yeah. Yeah. So he went. Uh, he, he first went down to Mafra in eighty nine and kept and coached them, and then. Uh, he said one day he came home from training at Mafra and Spider said, we've got to go up north. And he said, why? And he said, no, I'm too bloody cold down here. You know, so they went and packed <laughs> up, went to Port Douglas and, and have lived there ever since. But uh, yeah, nice. lovely guy. Really lovely guy. Nice. Yeah. Brilliant stuff, Rowan. Uh, so let's go on to 15. We've done 16, right? Um, yep. So 15 is, is a simple one for me. I had Shane Hurd. I, I, look, I, just a very quick one. And I'll just get your opinion, Rowan O'Neill, on this. Was he, uh, did he revolutionise tagging? Was that still prominent in the 70s and early 80s? Was he one of the first that took it to a level? Because um, that's how I kind of viewed it, but I, I wasn't quite sure if that's actually accurate. Well, you go now. Well, there was tagging around. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, a new thing, I think. Uh, what he revolutionised a bit was um, it was his build. He had the stamina um, and and the strength. He he changed his physique quite incredibly from when he first started. He was a very 
uh, slim player, but when he, uh, by the time he got to 84, he had muscles on, on real biceps yeah. on him. And, and I think, and, and a, a, a relentless tagger, He's, his concentration levels were, were second to none. And I, I think he, he, he really took it to a new level, I think, and, um, and showed what, what could be done if you put 100% into concentrating on taking a, uh, taking a player out of the game. And, and that was a bit different. I think before that, players were more run with players than uh, really 100% negating. And I think that might be where he... Uh, what did you think, Rowan? Was that... Yeah, no, no. I, I think that's a, a great assessment. You know, probably... I mean, taggers, first I have heard about a tagging role was, and I wasn't there, but um, Hooker Harrison on Ron Barassi in the 1958 grand final in which Collingwood upset Melbourne, you know, so... Yeah, I missed that one too. The the role... (laughs) Just. The the role wasn't um, new as such, but I think what you say is quite right. The... It was more an increased emphasis on the fitness required and the constant levels of concentration. Um, and as you say, I mean, probably before him, uh, tagging or run with roles were probably closer to what they are now where, you know, the, you can see the other guy's going to get a kick, but you need to get kicks as well. When Shane Hurd was doing it, you know, if he won any possessions, that was a bonus, you know, yeah. like Sheeds wouldn't have cared if he didn't get a kick if his opponent only got five, you know, yeah. so... It was just uh, the ante was upped with that role, if yep. you like. So who have you got at 15, Ron? Uh, yeah, well, I've got, uh, we've talked about him already, Nobby Clark. Nobby Clark, okay. Nobby? Neil? Uh, well, I've got a new name for us. Um, I tossed up on this one, whether I'd have him high or not, was uh, Glenn Hawker. The, uh, oh. I remember when Hawker... <laughs> we, uh, sorry, I missed that. No, keep going. So, yeah, so, so Hawker was a uh, uh, fantastic kick of the football. Mm. He, was, uh, he was a bit like Peter McKenna with his drop punts. Um, they had a perfect spin on them and he, and he could uh, with excellent kick off both left and right foot, almost equally as good. Um, he, uh, he had a couple of really good seasons where he, uh, I think he came about third in the Brownlow one year. He won the uh, best and fairest in '86, from memory. Yeah. I was actually overseas that year. I uh, I went, took off for England '86, '87. So I've got a bit of a blip on the on those ones. Um, but so I might have written, might have not have rated him quite as highly because I didn't uh, didn't see that. But a uh, yeah, very neat player, um, highly skilled, and. Um, yeah, I, uh, I could have perhaps had him higher, but uh, but we're getting a bit uh, towards the pointy end now, so it's that's uh, getting a bit hard to fit some of them in. Yeah, well, look, I, I I've got him a bit higher than that. Yeah, I, I loved him. He was always one of my favourites, but for all the reasons you just said, a beautiful kick of a footy. Yeah. Um, again, so many of these Essendon players from this era were. Uh, Footballers first and foremost, you yeah. know, and that's not to say they weren't decent athletes, but their football nous yep. was yep. fantastic, and he was certainly one of them. Prolific possession winner too, which goes to how well he was able to read the play. Yeah, um, good around goal, you know, very accurate near goal because he was such a beautiful kick. 
um, and also could be utilised in a number of positions. You know, he played a fair bit of footy on a halfback flank, yep. played ruck roving, could be used on a, on a forward flank. Yeah, um, played on occasions. Yep, yep. Ma- massive part of, of that premiership, I reckon. A, a terrific player, Glenn Hawker. And look, he won the BNF in 86, uh, had some injury issues after that, went off the boil a bit. And by 88, unfortunately, um, some would say tragically, was playing at Carlton. Um, but, um, you yeah. know, like he... I missed all that. Uh, he, was, he was a great player when I left and all of a sudden he's, he's playing for the arch enemy. Oh, yeah, I was devastated when he went to Carlton, trust me. Um, but, yeah, no, always, always one of my favourites. Good call. Okay, Grant. Um, 15 for me was uh, the Lizard... Um, Alan Ezard, again, I love, like I love Tony Bahaja, um, for, for a bloke that size to have that kind of um, lift in the legs, the amount of goals that he kicked for us at that size. And again, I, I just respect the hell out of the, the 80s because they, were, they had real sharp elbows in those days and the defenders, <laughs> they wouldn't have shown him any quarter, um, the little fella. And um, yeah, I, I love that guy. I love the, the fact how hard he went at the ball um, and the goal sneak about him. So, um, Alan Ezard, 15 for me. Very, very quick uh, final comment on Bluey Ezard. He uh, famously turned up for his first training session at Essendon barefoot, had no shoes on. Um, and <laughs> I think someone asked him about it and he, he just didn't like wearing shoes, you know. Um, okay, well, sure. Yeah, he was, he was from Broadford. Originally, um, yeah, very down-to-earth fellow, Bluey. Okay. So let's go on to 14. We are getting there, would you believe? Do we get your 15? Yeah, that was uh, Shane Hurd. That was Shane Hurd, yeah. So 14 is a new player, a very big name at the Essendon Football Club. Played 300 games, 140 goals, two-time Victoria State player, All-Australian 985. Um, two-time premiership player, and that's Gary Folds. Uh, this this is probably, uh, if you have a heart and soul of a club, you kind of say TD and Gary Folds. When I think back at those times, I think of who's the heart and soul of a football club. And these guys were just gentlemen and, and how they represented themselves in the game was, was pretty elite. And so reliable, such a great, great club man. Uh, just a special player, special memories. Uh, for me, I, I think he, I mostly saw him as a backman slash sometimes wing. Uh, I would have missed, look, in all honesty, I would have missed probably his first 150 games. Uh, so I'm probably seeing the tail end, but my dad spoke of him so highly that I just had to put him in or I, he, would just, he would have told me off. <laughs> well, I, I, won't lie, I won't lie, Scott. I'm slightly disappointed in you with this one. Oh, controversy! Controversy. <laughs> uh, no, I've got, I've got him. I've got him higher. He's he's in my top ten. Uh, Ooh, absolutely, okay. absolutely. No, look, I'm kidding. Uh, absolutely sensational player. Um, yeah, three hundred games. I didn't know three hundred games. I didn't know about yeah. three hundred games. Wow. Yeah, well, he was, he, he he finished up at the end of '89. You know, so yeah. well he started. In, he started. Grant. He started the year we were born. <laughs> yeah, that's that's amazing. 70, 74, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, well, Neil would have too. You know, I saw him play in '74, but uh, you know, again, another natural footballer. Um, his his nickname was Vault. 
uh, I remember me and my mates used to call him Mr. Cool because he, he just never, ever, ever looked flustered yeah. on the ground. And, um, you know, the probably the second, the last two-thirds of his career was always on that half-back flank. But prior to that, um, you know, even I think early on under Sheeds, he, he played plenty of footy on a wing. He had one famous game. Uh, in fact, I... He's, incidentally, he's one of the nicest blokes I've ever met in footy. He's such a lovely guy. True. Um, I remember talking to him about this. There was a game against Richmond in 81 that they ended up losing by a kick. Huge game. It was Phil Carmen missed a shot from not far out with not long to go. But uh, Falsey played forward that day and kicked seven goals. So, like, he, you know, he was capable of being played forward. He could play on a wing. Uh, ter- amazing capacity to find the footy, and there's a famous quote attributed to Sheeds about about that quality, which was, you know, uh, uh, Falsey could be sitting on the toilet and the ball would find him. You know, like he just uh, <laughs> he do wherever he was, the ball went. But just so unruffled, you know, N- not quick, but didn't need to be because he his anticipation was so good. Um, a great and and you said it, great club man. Um, you know, still uh, still goes to functions and things like that. Still, yep. you know, a, a fixture in the local Essendon area. Um, yep. Still teaching, I think. Um, and yeah, just the the loveliest spike. Not that that gets you into the top twenty, but a seriously good footballer and. Uh, preceded even the baby bombers who started in '77, and and um, again, yeah, just a yeah, terrific player. And I've got him. I'm not really dirty on you, Scott. I've just got him a little bit higher than that. <laughs> uh, look, I, I think I think for me, it's just literally like, like I, I seriously would have missed his first 200 games. I'd say so. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the hard part. Is is there's so much groundwork before my time of following Essendon. Uh, that and I really wrestled with this one because I had my dad's voice in my in my head, uh, and then going, "What do I do with that?" Uh, and then yeah. I go, "I could I only know what I know." Uh, yeah. So uh, I'll let you. I speak. think I think you summed up, Scott. The uh, there was reliability, and that was really what set him apart. He was, you, he could always be relied upon to do a job, whatever it was. He was a very much a team player. And yeah, as uh, as Rowan said, just Mr. Cool. It's, it's just completely unflustered. Um, who did you uh, kick? Sorry, just just to get the the numbers out of the way. Who did you have, um, Rowan? At uh, what number was this? Thirteen. Four, Fourteen. Fourteen. I had uh, Shane Hurd at fourteen. Okay. And and I had uh, Billy Duckworth. Okay. Billy. And Grant, you had. I had sorry, yeah, I had Folsey as well. Ah. Scott and I, without without <laughs> talking on that subject, both came up with Folsey as well. Um, again, I, I all of the um, the Essendon football I watched, I watched with Scott and his dad. So where we had those same stories about Folsey. So now it's good to hear. I mean, I, I, that three hundred games thing um, just just blown me away. I mean, I, I reckon I don't care who you are, if you get to three hundred games of AFL football in any stage, and again, especially in the eighties where there was no nobody looking after your cruciate ligament or anything like that. You just ran around and if you broke, you broke. Um, and they they chucked you a pie and a smoke and said, fix it yourself. And so to get to 300 games um, is really impressive. So, yep, Falsey for me as well. That's, that's a really serious player, 300 games in those days, because it was a, yeah. 
particularly in the 70s, it was a pretty tough game. Yeah. And the grounds, I don't suppose, would have been tip-top and all of that sort of pretty stuff oh. that they've got now. The, the conditions of the grounds, I mean, some of the mud heaps you get there. Uh, yeah. Well, you get Rabin, and that was a manufactured mud heap where they turned the, uh, they turned the sprinklers on on a Friday night. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because I just uh, last week signed up to KO because they're offering it to club members for like 250 a month or whatever. And uh, yeah. when I called it up, the first thing I saw was Essendon St Kilda at Moorabbin in 1978, the famous animals game where Terry Cale and Merv Nagle both got knocked oh, yeah. out. Folsey's playing in that one. And, yeah. um, you, you were probably there, Merle. I, I was there yeah. remembering, so I'm yeah. working my way through that. I know it doesn't end well, but it's interesting uh, to watch. It was a great day, that one. So, look, uh, uh, just on the last one on um, Folsey, I know my dad always loved that the siren went with TD and Folds, like the first people to embrace each other. I've, he, yeah. he, he had a real, almost like the old tear down the eye kind of, because you got TD starting in 76, Folds starting in 74. So they've done a lot of hard yards. And, mm. and to see that first embrace after the sign, that's the first thing you see. Uh, he, he just thought that was one of the magical memories, actually, of the grand final, even with Leon Bakers and all that. He loved that image. And it just meant a lot to him as a, as a person following the club. So, yes. look, uh, look, number 13, I had Glenn Hawker. Uh, I, I rated him through the roof. Uh, uh, we've all said it, but his skill and everything like that, I, I just really rated him very high. Rowan, I'll let you go 13. Uh, number 13, I've got uh, Biggles, uh, otherwise known as Kevin Walsh. We used, to reckon he, we used to think he looked like a World War One fighter pilot, you know, <laughs> the, it the did funny so. red bow. And, nice, you know, very nice. He had the cap with the, the goggles and stuff. But, we talked about him at week, didn't we? But a uh, huge part of those best Essendon yeah. sides. Yeah. I had uh, Daisy Williams. Daisy Williams. Daisy. I'll let you go, Grant. I had Kevin Walsh. Um, at 13 as well. Kevin Walsh, in basically every sport I've ever played, um, I've been a defender. Uh, I, I, I'm i 6'3 and way overweight now, but I'm 6'3 and I never really played footy up forward. I, was, I always wanted to be a defender. And to be quite frank, it's because of Kevin Walsh. Um, I like the fact that he wasn't the most athletic. I like the fact that he was slightly unco. Um, and I like the fact that he just... He gave everything he had to stop the opposition players. And one question I had for, for you, Rowan, would Kevin have played on some of the young, good forwards? Like, did he get to Dunstall or did he get to those guys? Were they around at that stage? Yeah, 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 oh, absolutely. I mean, hey, uh, I'm just trying to... I'm pretty sure his last year was 89 or... Hang on, we've got the stats here. 88 or 89. Do you remember, well, Neil? Off top of your head? He played on Dermot quite a lot. Yeah, but, but he, he was—he wasn't a flanker. He was—he was centre half back, so yeah. so he played yeah. on. And there were good centre half forwards going around those days. He that's what I mean. I, I just remember. Yeah, so yeah, I fact, just I've, remember. I've, I've, I've done him in, injustice. He played till '91. So hmm. yeah, look. I mean, you know, who are you talking about there? You're talking about uh, Dunstall. You're talking about Kernahan. You're talking about yeah. Um, even even later than that, you know, like 91 was the year Alan Jakovic came from nowhere. He probably played yeah. on him. Um, mm. 
and and like Neil says, you know, very you're a tall guy, you know, very much a key defender, but agile enough to play on smaller opponents as well. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Kevin, Kevin Walsh for me, he influenced me a fair bit. His first fifty games though were well, yeah, they were a struggle. Yeah, you see some of the discussions now about uh, various players, should they be getting games, the Langfords and the Laverties, that sort of thing. Um, oh, some, he put in some shockers early on. But yeah. thank you, thank you, Kevin Sheedy. There was so much criticism of him and he, uh, he stuck to his guns and, uh, and he came good. I, was, I, can uh, probably, I can probably only think of one Essendon player who took longer to become a competent senior player. Who's that? Uh, I'll give you a clue. Played, ended up playing in two premierships. Uh, oh, right. So that's is that not either ninety three or in two thousand or yeah, eighty four. Those two. I was going to say not 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 Barnsley or Wallace. Uh, yeah. Barnsley. No, Dean Wallace. Oh, yeah, Dean Wallace. Yeah, Wallace. Yeah. Yes. Good get, Scotty. Ah, uh, yeah. I think get Scotty. Um, I think um, I think Wallace showed a bit more early on. The, the, the difference with Wallace was that he had a lot of injuries. He was in his, first, in his first three or four or five years, he was in and out and in and out. He'd always yeah. be given a game when he was fit. Whereas I can't recall Walsh missing too many games. I think he played virtually quite consistently through. Yeah, um, yeah no, fair call, fair call. Now. Um, Sorry, I, I'm trying to get the pace going a bit before we uh, we go get to midnight. Uh, look, so we all number, have to go to bed. Uh, we've only got number 12 and 11 to go, so we're getting there. So number 12, I had Billy Duckworth. I, I rated him through the roof. I just listened to a Sheed's comment the other day that he was, for him, would be in his, his best team uh, if, he, if he named it now he's, uh, for what he coached. So I'm going to give uh, that a bit of credit from coming direct from Sheed. So... Billy Duckworth is my number 12. I'll let you run. Okay. Um, well, I'm getting the feeling you guys are probably going to be pissed off with me at this one. And <laughs> it's about time. Actually, to be honest, I'm pissed off with myself now. I'm thinking about it because I, I love this guy and he was great to watch. Um, not always consistent, though, but his best was incredibly good and uh, did it for a long period of time, too. Um, and uh, as he shuffles through desperately trying to find the stats. Um, yeah, I've gone oh, with Paul Vander. I've gone with Paul Vander. Oh, no, 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 Paul Vander. Well, I've got him at number 11, so I'm pretty close with you, Rowan. Yeah, look, don't get me wrong. I love the Flying Dutchman. He was fantastic. But he, he could be he in could and be out. Erratic. Yeah. Um, if, if you're going on, I hate the fact that I'm arguing against him here. I mean, he, <laughs> he didn't, wasn't a huge factor in either of the grand final wins. However, yep. having said that, in the 84 preliminary final, we did kick four goals and take 258 marks before half time. <laughs> you know, so... And that, but that was, that was Vandor, wasn't it? You know, like, yeah. he, he, the yep. incredible one week and... And, and ordinary the next. Now, have we all heard the story about him and Timmy Watson, 1977, got heading out to Footscray? No. no. You retell it anyway. I'll tell it quickly. So, um, okay, so Vanderhaar debuts. Um, actually, it, was, it might have been 78, but Vanderhaar debuted before Tim. Um, Tim obviously didn't have his licence. Vander had his, so he picks Tim up on the way to, to go to Footscray. 
and um, uh, he's, he's, you know, Tim gets in the car and, you know, Vander's had a big Friday night and, you know, you can smell the smokes on his breath and there's, you know, empty UDLs on the floor and whatever. He goes, oh, mate, I've got to eat, I'm starving. So they pull into this hamburger joint sort of near the ground and, uh, you know, Vander orders one with a lot, you know, it's like 11 a.m. Before, before a game. And then he starts playing this pinball machine, starts racking up all these free games and refused to leave until he played all the free games. So they, they were like half, half an hour late for the team meeting and they were punished by being made to sit on the reserves bench. 84 preliminary final. For me, his, his best performance. He was just unbelievable, that guy. And, um, of course, the famous aerial duel with Peter Knights in, in yep. 1978 when he was only 18 then. You know, it was his second season. Um, good story about that one is um, I, I, went, I was 13, went with a mate. It was a full house. And the only way we could see was to stand on the cyclone wire fence that used to be behind the, the terrace standing room at the school end. Yeah. So we literally spent the whole game sort of hanging from the fence with our feet just sort of up on our toes on the bar halfway down the fence. Had to hang there for like three hours. Anyway, game, game finishes and we both dropped down sort of expecting to regain our feet, but our, our feet had gone numb. So we just went down like a bag of absolute <laughs> shit. You know? Couldn't walk, for, couldn't walk for 15 thing. minutes. And that's the sort of thing you do in those days too. Oh um, yeah, no that, that that was a that was a minor sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, and you get the full houses. I I remember the um, the full houses when Essendon played Carlton um, at their eighty one, and yeah. I had a season's ticket. So I get in, but I had I had two friend, friends with who didn't have a ticket, so I had to jump the fence and pull them over before uh, and give them the ticket so they could uh, um, walk <laughs> through. And yeah, it's just. Just the sort of things you do. You don't have any of that sort of thing these days. Well, you, you mentioned um, just yeah. quickly. You, you mentioned the Neil Danaher game earlier, Scott. Well, yeah. Me and my mates who had gone every week. You know, we were up the scoreboard end goals. Um, and after Jimmy Buckley kicked the goal to put Carlton twenty six points up at the twenty minute mark, I said, "Oh, let's go." You know, I didn't want to see it. We'd we'd already won what uh, fourteen games in a row. Yeah, uh, and they said, "Oh, it's too late now." You know, like it was twenty-minute mark. I said, "We're not going to beat the crowd anyway." So I reluctantly stayed. Thank God, because I think I would have <laughs> suicided if uh, I'd missed the end of that. It was uh, yeah, it's amazing guy. Yeah. I, I, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm the eternal optimist. I, I distinctly remember saying after Buckley kicked the goal, "We can still win this." Oh, really? That's yep. good call. And and I think um, Neil Danaher only got moved. Uh, was it? About then, or was it about yeah. five minutes before then? Um, yeah. She made the move, and um, yeah, and he kicked three goals, and uh, and I remember the the famous Mike Fit, Fitzpatrick time wasting. Yeah, and yeah, they yeah. Just, they just uh, made a real issue of it uh, about uh, a few weeks before that, and and I was yelling out to the umpire to to, to pay a free kick for the time wasting, and and he eventually did. And he got he because I used to take binoculars all the time, and I was watching the umpire and he gave him uh, uh, two warnings and uh, Fitzpatrick just didn't care. He, just, he thought he was impregnable. And uh, <laughs> there we go. He, uh, he blew the whistle and uh, water a free kick and he was ropeable. And I think that uh, might be why he still hasn't got a really particularly soft spot for him to this day. <laughs> yes. but, uh, um, and he 
possibly does deserve to be, but that was where I ended up with him. Can I just say something quickly, just uh, for people who are watching the video, just in the last five minutes, it's just been twice where the video's paused on my end for five seconds. So sorry about that. Uh, just you guys probably wouldn't have known that, but unfortunately the video is going to come through my view. So just it paused for about five seconds. I just had a funny internet, uh, just said it's a little bit unstable. So issue. issue. So, but most of the, the crux of it is there. Uh, so look, Rowan, obviously Paul Vanderhaar is your pick. Very quick one on Paul Vanderhaar. I always found him strange that he rarely took a one hand, a one sort of grab mark. He loved his two grab yeah. marks. Very, very strange, but it always worked. But he, he just had this uh, uncanny ability to, to almost tap the ball in the air and then mark it the second time to make it more spectacular. Actually, mm. the one who is similar to the, in that regard is James Hurd. He, yeah. he was often yeah. quite soft hands. He'd, he'd, um, he'd sort of control the ball and caress it down. Um, but yeah, Vanderhaar was a great player um, on his day, but just a little bit for me too. So here's to we're, we're looking. I can do the commentary here. How many times I've watched this <laughs> Yeah, okay, Zlani. Essendon, they're getting everything now. Western, <laughs> Western to half forward. Uh, Vanderhaar, yes, the mark. Hey. And then he says he'd be within kicking distance without any trouble at all. <laughs> even though he's like. Wendy didn't get anything right this time. And then, of course, he puts, it into the square and he puts it into the square. Roger Merritt takes the mark. It's an obvious mark. And Wendy's call is, is that an Essendon mark? Uh, or, no, is that a Hawthorne mark or has Essendon got it? Merritt's got it? And, and, and going, back, going back to earlier before, that was the time where I saved uh, um, Colin Bomadale's life by grabbing his jumper. That was where he took off and, and oh, got on the... An overbalance. <laughs> well, my, 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 my favourite Peter Landy is uh, is the famous. Um, uh, there's play, it was a, it was a Geelong and I think it was either Collingwood or game, and there was the old. Um, there's plenty of to- there's plenty enough time if the Collingwood are good enough, and the siren goes literally just then. And, uh, he, he was, <laughs> he, Landy was the classic pessimistic supporter, so mad Hawthorne yeah. supporter. But that whole last quarter, it almost sort of spoils it because like. It's it's literally one point the difference of a twenty five minute mark and Wendy's call is Essendon running all over Hawthorne. And then <laughs> yeah. um, the, the yeah. best one is when scores get leveled and Lou goes, and scores are level, oh golly, you might have to come back here next week. To which Landy <laughs> says, oh, If it's a draw, I hope it's warmer next week, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> so because it was a cold day that day. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um my number twelve um is Daisy. Daisy, Daisy Williams, okay. love him. Can't rate him uh, much higher, in my opinion. He's uh, a great player. So let's go to number 11 as we wrap things up. Uh, look, my number 11 actually was Neil Danaher. Uh, this was a tough one for me um, because I, I was trying to work out how do I, how do I sit Neil? And, and I probably went against my own rule about having an impact in the decade. Um, but his impact actually was as a club was a big factor as well. He was so, I mean, if you're talking about the eighties, most people are going to say Watson, Madden, Neil Danaher and Vander. And he's always going to be in that top four mentioned probably with Baker um, because he was so loved, so, so highly regarded. 
captain in 1982, unfortunately, didn't play. But he, for me, was uh, a big embodiment of Essendon. Um, injured or not, he was just such a big name at the club. Uh, so I, I put him as number 11, and, and I kind of do understand that that's probably being a little bit nice, but, but he, I just loved him that much. Well, well, I was even nicer, so we'll, uh, we'll hear that one tomorrow. <laughs> I think he's, he's the one player in this list who you could make a, a, a really valid argument for having him top 10 despite the whack of more than 100 games. Yeah. Yes. Well, the, yeah, the, the, the quality of the games that he did play were, was exceptional. He, he hardly ever put in a bad game in yeah. his uh, 66. And... Yeah. Uh, yeah, just a real travesty. So yeah. I'll go to you, Rowan, for number 11. Uh, number 11, uh, one of Caniva's two favourite sons, along with Roger Merritt, Glenn Hawker. Okay, yeah. yep. Ah. Um, and I was pretty close with you, Rowan. I had Paul Vanderhaar yeah. okay. at number 11. Now, Vanders. Well, I couldn't split 10 and 11. To be quite honest, well, but, I have, have to. <laughs> yeah. but I have, but I have, I had, uh, uh, I could switch either of them. I had Merv Neagle. Okay. Merv yep. Neagle or Glenn Hawker, to be quite frank. They're my 10 and 11. Um, Merv Neagle was, he was a great player. Um, I love the way the bloke ran, um, deep penetrating kick. Um, got great memories of what every time he touched the ball, there were certain players that I watched at Essendon that whenever they touched the ball, I just knew something good was going to happen or you, I felt confident when the ball was in their hands and um, Merv Neagle turning off a, I don't know, catching it on a wing um, on the, on the, um, on the G turning and heading towards half forward and kicking it into the forward 50 or whatever it was back in those days. Um, just gave me a, a lot of confidence. So Merv Neagle for me. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful player to watch. I, I love him. Yeah. I had his, I had his, uh, when he switched from number thirty-four to one, I put number one on my on the back of my jumper. That goal, mm. the last goal of the eighty-four grand final. And you need to hear not Landy sort of being a sore loser, but you need to hear the ABC <laughs> TV commentary of that goal because it's Tim Wayne and he says. It's high, long, and handsome. And it's just sort of like handsome. beautiful, clinching the grand final moment. Yeah, I, I love Merv. He was a ripper. Uh, look, Merv, yeah. Merv, Merv uh, I'll give you a little surprise. Merv's really high up on my list. Uh, I yeah. found him skillful, a great runner, and brutally tough. And I, I rated him through the roof. I, I remember most of his games. He was a player as a kid I absolutely loved. I just thought he, I thought this guy just had it all. He was physical, graceful, skillful. Um, and yeah, he was 147 games, uh, played for Victoria 80 to 85, second in Brownlow 1980, uh, premiership player, unfortunately missed out in 85 with a leg injury. So should have been a two-time player, but I, I rated him through the roof. And I, I always knew why the Swans were targeting him. And and he was a player that I thought was was probably as well rounded as a player as you could get in the eighties. Yeah, the the unfortunate thing about nineteen eighty was he and Tim Watson probably cut each other's throat as far yeah. as the Brownlow went. You know. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and Watson was great in that year as well. Oh, and it was the, fantastic. The thing, the thing that you've touched on there, Scott, which I agree with completely, was just his toughness. Um, and that was a bit of a hallmark of, of a lot of the sheetier players, really. He loved the, the ones with a little bit of a mongrel about him, and, uh, and he was as tough as guts. Um, very underrated mark. He could, uh, he could take a great mark and, uh, yeah. and love to go for a run. Uh, yeah, one of my favourite players too. He was, he was a really great player to watch. He had a real uh, distinctive running style too, didn't he? There was a real swagger about the yeah, way he had a, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why yeah. I felt confident when he had the ball because he just turned and he was he was confident. He ran down the ran down the the field. He looked good doing it, and the the yeah. kick was invariably on target. Yeah, I know. I know. I've said this earlier tonight, but like so many of these players, and he's another one. Don't you think about remember them and think about them and think, oh, they were a natural footballer. And you know, without yeah. wanting to sound like an old fart, you don't say that. You don't say that about nearly so many players today. Whereas I was going to ask you. Yeah, I was going to ask you that question, um, Rowan, and you too, Neil. You've you've mentioned that a couple of times, like the 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 um, Gary Folds and those guys and the Leon Bakers that were just natural footballers and stuff. I mean, that time that um, uh, Trent crowed, apparently, like. Or was it Clive Waterhouse or something? It was the first bloke that literally just got drafted on the fact that he was an athlete. And then they thought, oh, we'll try and teach Trent Crowe how to kick properly or how to play football. But he's such an athlete, you can't deny it. And it's, it's almost the opposite in those days is that you had real serious AFL footballers. Um, I mean, look at that. Look at him. Look at him. Looks good. Head up. <laughs> got the left boot going on. Um, so, yeah, is that, would you say that that's... Um, like, do we go for the full package nowadays? Do we go for the for the athleticism of Dusty Martin plus the the brains of Diesel Williams, or did they not think about that back in the eighties? And all they thought was, well, look, he's got the body of Billy Duckworth, but he's got an incredible brain. I, I think it goes in cycles because um, I'd like to say, yeah, they just looked at footballs, but then what about Diesel Williams' story? You know, he got rejected by Carlton twice. Um, and had to go to Geelong and make it and then went yeah. back to Carlton, you know, and that was in the early 80s, you know. So mm. there tends to be a bit of fashion. I reckon the pendulum in, in the last few years has swung back towards football now. And for me, Dusty's, yeah. Dusty's the epitome of that. I mean, I, I love Dusty. I love watching him play. I love his kicking, just the efficiency and effectiveness and the power of his kicking. He is, to me, the quintessential natural football. Certainly not unathletic, you know, and the, but they've had to train that into him. I think there was a period, I don't know, maybe, you know, sort of late 90s, early 2000s when there was a real thing about, you know, athletic gifts first, football mouse second. Mm. And I, I reckon, you know, like a lot of things in footy, people tend to sort of follow the leader. But, you know, the, the professionalism of the training regimens and stuff now is such that, anyone can sort of be made to be a particular level of fitness. In the end, it's sort of that pure, raw football ability that separates them. So I'd like to think anyway that there's the focus is always going to be primarily on that. And yeah. I think, you know, I think there's certainly a feeling in coaching ranks at the moment that the game is going to be... Um, and, and if, you know, look looking ahead, if coaching panels, as everyone's saying, are going to be significantly reduced and like the intel and whatever is going to be reduced, I think there'll be a tendency for players to play more on instinct 
and less on on being drilled into a particular way of playing, which I think yeah. is great because it'll allow those natural footballers to thrive. Yeah. yeah. I well, think, yeah. I think my thoughts on that in the eighties, the question about the eighties, was that there was a lot more one-on-one football in those days. And I think uh, Sheedy in particular really valued players that could win the one-on-one contest. Yeah. Um, and uh, there weren't too many players that that would make it with him who, uh, who that, and, and had to be tough as well. You had to be able to um, take it and, uh, and you didn't mind them giving, giving it out either. Um, yeah, I think no, that's probably a, a bit different to these days. The, um, there, there just isn't as much one-on-one football. But back then, you had to you had to be able to win your own ball. Yeah, yeah. Now let's. I better wrap this up. Uh, this was meant to be about forty minutes long, and it's obviously gone well beyond that. But look, it's been a fantastic chat, Rowan. Uh, can I just personally say you've given us uh, so much time uh, for this tonight? So thank you so much. And this is. Uh, don't be scared that this is just part one. Uh, we will try and have a, a faster regiment next time. No, um, no, it's all right. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to part two. So part yeah, two, be well. part two will be ten to one. Thank you, everyone, for for joining us. Uh, thank you for the fans listening. Look, what we're going to do is we're going to put this up on our YouTube. We've got a new lunchtime catch up podcast YouTube channel, so we're going to put the show up there, and I'll send out the link. But we'll also have it in the our normal podcast version, just the audio version as well, and our normal SoundCloud and iTunes channels. I think the audio version is sounding more attractive from an aesthetic <laughs> point of view. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the reason why we started a podcast first, Rowan. Yeah. How many times do you reckon someone said to me, you've got a good head for radio? <laughs> yeah. Well... Wow. Well, at least uh, the, uh, the amount of comments you... My, one of my favourite things, Rowan, is actually just li- what, reading you on Twitter. Uh, how many of the, how many of the uh, stick to footy, Rowans? I, I, if there was a, 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 like a swear jar, but of how many, how many times you would get that comment of stick to footy? Uh, well, I'll tell you, well, the funny thing is I, I must have weeded them out because lately, uh, the last couple of weeks, I've actually been doing a music... Uh, I'm doing a, a countdown on Twitter of my top 20 albums, hence the music posters behind me here. Yeah. Um, and now people have taken to saying stick to music when I start talking about footy. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank speaking you. Of which, uh, just, be- just before they all go, speaking of which, Ron, where, where can everybody find you? Is, footy- um, what is-, is Footyology doing much with the with the break? Yeah, yeah, we're... Um, I was going to make some stupid joke about it. I don't want anyone to find me, but uh, no, I, mean, this, I don't know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not much chop at this isolation business. Uh, yeah, Footyology, um, the website's still ticking over. Yep. Um, I'm still doing the podcast with Mark Fine. Uh, like during the season, we do two a week, but obviously there's no games now. So we're going back to, for now, um, doing one every Monday morning. So this week's is available on all your usual platforms. Um, and uh, yeah, look, I'm on Facebook and whatever, but Twitter is probably the place I frequent the most. So yeah. it's uh, the handle is at Rowan underscore Connolly. Um, a few people tell me I should add a FRO to the end of that handle, but um, <laughs> no, just Rowan <laughs> underscore Connolly and uh, don't abuse me or you will get told to FRO. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. 
Thank you so much, everyone. Uh, have a great rest of the night. And we'll see you soon for part two, which will be released in about, about another week's time. So, cheerio, cheerio everyone. Thank you very much. And go, Bombers. Yep. See you next time.